Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the We Are Tech Britannia podcast. I'm Rose Ross, and I'm here with Lisa Forte and Rick Ferguson from Respect in Security. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Although, it's good afternoon for me. Already? Yeah, I'm an hour ahead, hours ahead. Yeah, so um, just for people who aren't aware, it's in <laughs> Warsaw, in sunny Warsaw, so at... Uh, just after midday, just after midday. But um, I'm still thinking about croissants myself, Rick. So, uh, yeah, definitely. If I'm here, it's a legal it. obligation. I have to only think about pierogi. That's it. Oh, pierogi sounds interesting. What's pierogi? <laughs> like, dump, like little stuffed dumplings. If you've had dim sum, that's like Chinese pierogi. But they can be stuffed with potato and cheese. They can be stuffed with meat or cabbage and mushroom. And they can even be stuffed with fruit and eaten with cream. They're great. Mm, I'm going to need to find some of those in London, actually, because um, my mum was born in Poznan, so she's ah, okay. honorary Polish, although she's actually German because of the timing of when it all happened. But cool. Well, it'd be great to have you guys here, and you've had an amazing sort of week and a bit since the launch of Respect in Security. But I thought it'd be great just to find out a little bit about you both, and I'm going to start with Lisa. Um, because I'm absolutely fascinated. Lisa and I have not met, although I've known of Lisa for a long, long time. A um, bit of a, a legend in the cybersecurity marketplace. I was going to make a really uncomfortable wish you'd put worn different earrings back. Um, but Lisa, you've got a very interesting background. Now, how does somebody start their career by dealing with Somalian pirates? I'm sorry, I don't know. That was never a career choice for me at school. They never said, Rose, I think you'd be amazing. I probably wouldn't have chosen Somalian I might have chosen a bit more Caribbean perhaps but how did this all start your your adventure in cyber security and security obviously so I was um trained to be a lawyer and mm-hmm. specializing in maritime law and international law so sort of law of armed conflict that sort of thing and to my parents great dismay I found a job with a security company that basically secured ships from pirates and they needed someone to advise on aspects of maritime law. And, you know, it's obviously incredibly complex with regards to import-export of weapons and so on and so forth. So I joined the company in that capacity and then quickly took more to the operational side of things. So sort of abandoned law to my parents' further dismay. Uh, and that's sort of how I got really into stuck into security and uh, working with in actually a company that had no, not a single other woman in it. They were all male ex-Raw Marines. So it was a baptism of fire for a young blonde law student. But um, yeah, it was awesome. And uh, yeah, then I progressed into counterterrorism, intelligence, policing, and then into one of the UK police cybercrime units, and then started my own company in 2017. Great, which takes us up to the, to, to the present day and Red Goat. And I love the story about why it's called Red Goat. I get the red bit because of the security element, I'm assuming. But do you want to just quickly tell the story about why you chose Goat or why the, the team chose Goat? So this was all my fault. Um, basically, I couldn't think of a name for the company at the time of forming it. And I was reading a New Scientist and there'd been a study done by some people in London on goats and they realized that goats can recognize intruders into their herd just from their voice. And so I thought, well, that's very similar to social engineering and what we're hoping staff would be able to do with attackers. So Red Goat was born, but the sort of byproduct of it is that um, one of my clients is an investment bank and 
when I show up at the office, the receptionist would call up and she would say, the goat lady is here. And I just thought that was the best thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> so is that now your on your business card? Because it should be. Goat lady. It should be at least four goat lady, <laughs> red goat security. I know. Yeah. That would oh, be well. the best title. So we'll get goat rescue farm potentially in your future. If you ever love a getting out. <laughs> yeah, that's paying it forward. That's what you have to do eventually. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. That's brilliant, Lisa. I love those stories. And, and, you know, what an adventure so far. And delighted that even that the Marines didn't put you off for life in security. God bless us. Mother half's a Marine. I absolutely love bootnecks. So uh, no issue there. But um, Rick. You're a slightly less treacherous path to cybersecurity, although detentions, I love your LinkedIn post of when you were at Sharnbrook. Drama, smoking in the woods and detention were your activities at school. Yeah, yeah, that's mostly what I did at school. Um, Yeah, yeah, if if you were going to just let me roll into my introduction, I was just going to be like, yeah, I'm Rick Ferguson. I used to work in tech support. That's basically it. I mean, that's that's where my career came from. It just started a very long time ago. Uh, I didn't take an academic route into security. I didn't really take an academic route into anything other than accidents and adventures. Um, I had never really planned anything. Um, And from a a school perspective, very long time ago, when I was considering which subjects to study, I I just took the path of least resistance and the things I was most likely to get good grades at. Even that plan didn't totally succeed. Um, but I, so I ended up studying French at university and then I went off and lived in France for a while. Um, and eventually real life caught up with me as I, I was in my mid twenties, uh, 24 I was, and uh, I had to get a proper job, quote unquote, proper job. I'd been working in, in bookshops and record shops and timber yards and things up until that point and singing in a band for, for beer money. And that was basically the whole of my life. Uh, and my, my first job was I knew quote unquote, I knew a bit about computers. Uh, I had studied it for O-level at school. Yes, I'm that old. Uh, and I had studied it in my first year at university, but I had had a computer since I was 12. And my first computer was a ZX Spectrum 48K. 48K. It was huge. Um, and, uh, and by then I was fluent in two languages, English and French. So my first job was on a, tech, a European tech support desk. And it snowballed from there, basically. So since 94, I, you know, back when TCP IP was still a choice, mm. um, you could have other protocols on your network if you wanted to. And in fact, you were highly likely to have IPX, SPX, and maybe even uh, have token ring as well as Ethernet. And uh, our operating environment when I first started was Windows 3.11 on the desktop and Banyan Vines on the network. So it was stuff that no one knows about anymore, but that was, that was what was, I there do. you go. I mean, but that's, <laughs> but I'm but not going like, to say that's like how old I am. Of course. You I say banyan vines to someone now and they're <laughs> like, hmm. Um, but it was a, it was a baptism of fire as tech support is for anyone who does it. And anyone who has, has done it or is doing it will know exactly what I mean. The only thing you do all day is deal with stuff that doesn't work. And the entirety of your job is to find out why it's not working and what you have to do to make it work again. So it's for the job that I'm in now, that was the perfect place to start, particularly given that my focus from day one was on network activity and network protocols and PostScript. PostScript is less relevant now than than it used to be. Uh, But from a network and networking protocols perspective, a lot of my troubleshooting was around that. And it was across uh, every available platform. It wasn't just Windows, Mac, Mac. 
uh, and Linux, it was, uh, you know, we would we have customers who were using uh, IRIX. We had um, customers with those brand new, I forget what they were called, those beautiful silicon graphics workstations when they tried to become like an Apple of the world briefly. Indigo, I think they were called, mm-hmm. Indigo workstations. Um, and, and all kinds of different network operating systems, Novell Network 3, Novell Network 4, all that. But I remember Windows NT being released. And so my, my career has gone on from there. I, did, I think I did like 12 years in tech support, something like that. Uh, and the problem with tech support is the longer you do it, the more valuable you become and the less willing to let you go or progress the organization is because you've developed this wealth of knowledge of how to fix common things. Um, so usually to break out, you usually have to change employer, which is unfortunate, but the way of the world. So I ended up in security architecture uh, for a system integrator. Um, didn't like not being at a manufacturer anymore. So then went back into manufacturer world um, 14 years ago, uh, which was Trend Micro. And I've been there ever since. Mm. That's it. Fantastic. Fantastic. And obviously you guys have probably met, worked together. I, I, I'm hearing this thing about a party, which I've never had an invite to. So I'm a little bit miffed. But hey, neither have I. So it, if you're hearing rumours about a party, then it's... No, Simon, you parties. do know about this, Rick. Cyber House Party. Oh. Oh, that party. That party. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because that was kind of the beginning, really, wasn't it? Of, um, it was. Yeah. So... Um, Cyber House Party is something that was set up, not by me, I wasn't involved in the creation of it, but I have been uh, involved in, in several of them. Um, but it was set up during the first, the first instance of lockdown in the UK as a way of people being able to come together. Um, there is technical and, um, and social and learning content. Uh, and there's also a lot of fun. Um, there's the Have I Got a Cyber Quiz for You, which is hilarious. Um, and then in the evening, there's three, four DJ sets uh, on YouTube where people socialize through uh, the YouTube chat or they have their own uh, get togethers on, on um, things like Zoom or whatever uh, and listen to the DJ sets at the same time. So, and there have been three or four of those now. Hmm. There was one at Easter, which uh, Lisa w- was a guest on one of the panels. And the panel was about um, harassment and abuse within the industry. Uh, it was hosted by Eleanor Dalloway from Infosecurity Magazine, and, um, and Lisa was one of the, the people. And I was watching it because I attended every one of the Cyber House Party uh, events. And when Lisa started to talk about her own personal exposure to experience of mm. abuse, it was an absolute um, epiphany, eye-opener for me. Like, seriously, this stuff happens, and, and people think it's okay to do this. And not just anonymously, but from real accounts, and 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 they do it on LinkedIn, and it like everything about it was blowing my mind, and I wasn't the only one. As I watched the comments scrolling by uh, during the event, other people were having the same visceral reaction to what they were hearing. Like what? As was Mark Avery, one of the founders of Cyber House Party. So he and I had a conversation afterwards, saying we want to do something. What can we do? You know, other than being an ally. Hmm. Um, and, and being down with that sort of thing, um, what can we concretely do to make a difference? And, and the conversation was born out of Lisa's testimony and it resulted in respect and security. And obviously Lisa was uh, a very obvious person for us to, to contact and say, please come and be part of this along with all of the other co-founders. So, that, I mean, it's amazing how these acorns are created. So Lisa, you know, having been kind of like the, 
the catalyst, I suppose, really for this this whole new movement. I mean, how do you feel about that? That you know, something that obviously wasn't a great experience at the time is hopefully going to go on and is already going on and and bringing awareness and hopefully changing the way that people conduct themselves. Because ultimately, this is the way and how organisations ensure that people do conduct themselves in an appropriate and respectful way. I think it's it's obviously a positive thing to come out of a negative experience um for me personally I still find it really difficult I still mm-hmm. find it causes me a huge quantity of anxiety um despite obviously all the good that's coming out of it it's still something that I'm not comfortable at mm-hmm. all with um and I think one thing for me was the number of people who contacted me and others who've co-founded the group when we launched telling their stories, a lot of which were sort of way more horrific than what I'd gone through. Um, And it was just, it was sort of a weird emotion because we had men, women, Mm. all different shapes and sizes of every type of person you could imagine who had a story. So it's Mm. not a woman issue. It's not a, you know, an older woman or a younger woman issue. It's not, it's not sort of, broken down like that and actually I found that quite reassuring I Mm. found that made me feel less like I was hated or there was something wrong with me and that actually this was a problem with the perpetrators and there were lots of victims of all different shapes and sizes and I was just one of those victims so it sounds like a little bit of a strange thing to say but actually I got a lot of reassurance from the fact it was happening to others, despite the fact that obviously that's a horrific situation. Mm. And so just out of interest, I mean, how long ago did this happen? How long have you been carrying this one around sort of without really sort of sharing it in the way that you did? You know? ask Lisa, has it stopped yet? Yeah. No. <laughs> I no. literally, as Rick will, no, I probably, was it last weekend, Rick? I had to change my mobile phone number because... Yeah. And I had to do that urgently and my telecoms provider were excellent, but I had to do that because the number of voicemails that were threatening were horrendous. So I had to change my number. But you know what that means? Like on the, on the positive side of things, obviously that that is not a pleasant experience for anyone to go through on the positive side of things. We're annoying a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are rattled by the fact that respect and security exists uh, and that are worried about the kinds of changes that m- may happen within the industry. And that's a real net positive. If the people who, this is kind of one of the aims, if people who think it's okay to harass and abuse others yeah. are concerned and feel threatened by what we're doing, that's really good. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Well, we had several co-founders of the group since launch have had some pretty horrible abuse come their way. and sort of going after their character or whatever. And I think Rick's right. You know, I think it's rattled people um, because the people, the general reception, I would say from 99.9% of the population has been hugely positive and supportive. Yet there are a few people who've sort of self-identified themselves by lashing out. Hmm. Interesting response to something like that. I mean, even if that's how you felt, I think to do it publicly must be... An interesting choice, shall we say? An interesting yeah. choice. You know, so, so, some of it, it could 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 be um, people that are rattled and concerned and worried. 
but it, I think it's also fair to say that some of the negative response, and like Lisa said, when we say negative response, it's a tiny, minor, minor, minor part of all the response that we've had. It's yeah, because everything I've seen is very positive when I was looking at the feedback. Uh, but, you know, I have had people come to me uh, politely, privately saying, you know, expressing concerns, for example, hey, aren't you inviting vigilantism here? Uh, aren't you, you know, what is this reporting mechanism? How are you going to guard against malicious reporting? Uh, I had an article that was, uh, it, it covered an interview, an interview that Lisa and I had given, but it very definitely focused on me at the end. The second half of the article was all about me, where they, basically had gone through the entirety of my Twitter timeline. Um, it was a hard right American uh, news website who I won't dignify by, by pointing to, oh, wow. uh, but they had basically gone through my timeline, decided that I was uh, extreme left wing uh, politically, uh, and then were asking questions like, uh, is this the right kind of person to be trusting to censor you? Um, and, and we need to make a really clear, because I can understand confusion around this issue, but we do need to make uh, really clear, we're not here to police anyone's behavior. We're not here to pass judgment on anybody at all. The aim of respect, uh, the, the twin aims of respect and security, if you like, are um, to give support to victims of abuse and harassment in that we will signpost them to the correct resources mm -hmm. to be able to help them. Things like the cyber helpline, just for example, but all of those resources and signposting is on the Respect and Security website that will tell you if you're being victimized here's where you should go, here's the kinds of things that you might want to consider doing. Um, so that's one side of the aim. And the other aim is to encourage companies to open up and say, hey, if you have a problem with someone who works for us, we are open to listening to you. And that's it. Just that. We are open to listening to you. When it comes to taking action based on complaints, of course, there should be due process. Uh, but that is down to the company that employs the individual uh, and the, the process that they are going to follow internally. What they're signing up to when they take the Respect and Security Pledge is that they will have a process and that they will publicly advertise that process and how you go about contacting them in order to kick that off. That's all. We're not here to pass judgment uh, or, or, or mete out uh, punishment to anyone. That's not what we do. Hmm. And I think what Lisa was saying sort of around the fact that for her as somebody who's been you know, on the on the receiving end of this type of abusive behaviour, that um, and I mean, it was something that was post World War One, wasn't it? When they found that they didn't have enough resources to deal with, um, you know, the the challenges that soldiers were coming back from the front lines with, is that just talking about the fact that you've had a problem and you're not the only one who's experienced this and are feeling the way that you feel is actually really, really helpful. So obviously in this day and age, we can do it on a much wider scale. I suppose one of the things that people are probably saying is, do we need, should, do we need this? Because obviously there's been anti-harassment policies in organisations for you know, a long time. But in reality, I think your you know, research you did, and that was a great piece of work, because obviously coming out with what respect and security without a solid you know, statistics to talk about that there really is a problem you know, would have been a bold move and perhaps you would have been a lot more vulnerable to, you know, as you say, the negative comments. But, you know, I mean, I, I think I made a quick note of, of that, but, you know, lots of people, male and female, uh, you know, and trans had, had experienced this and we're continuing to experience this despite the fact that there are policies in place in organisations. And I think part of the reason is that 
by nature, cybersecurity and tech and, and most industries have a high degree of networking. Yeah. Um, so you're going outside of maybe, and I'm not saying it's always a safe zone um, within your organization where at least you feel that you, you have someone you can directly go to. There's an obvious, hopefully obvious route for you if there's an issue. But obviously, if you bump into somebody at a networking event or you contact them, as I know, uh, you know, people that Lisa, you talked about or you may have spoken about somebody else who had contacted somebody because they felt that they were somebody who was useful as a contact. They responded, exchanged numbers. And within a short period of time, it had gone from talking about cybersecurity to basically somebody trying to have cyber sex with them. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it's an important letter to change, to change at the end, to not change at the end, shall we say. So I think, yeah, I think what you're saying is that you've been overwhelmed by the response that you've had, uh, but also surprised. I'm, I, I'm surprised that there's been public negativity, um, particularly where it's gone beyond maybe questioning or inquiring in, 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 you know, being a bit of a devil's advocate, but actually being aggressively abusive about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to do. To be very clear, we need that. um, And we encourage if people have concerns and questions about respect and security, absolutely come and talk to us and come and uh, allow us to address those concerns with you. We are fully open to that. And we've already done it with multiple people on more than one occasion. Yeah. And it's great because we get to learn from it as well. Mm. Um, it's about a dialogue, so, isn't it? Things yep. don't change without communication. And we don't have all the answers. So it's actually really nice when community members come forward and say, oh, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And we can then have a discussion because it's really important to us that what we're looking at, what we're tackling on any level is actually representative of what's actually happening. And the only way you know that is by having that dialogue with the community as a whole. And that's what we're here for. We're here for the community. So hmm. we're not just sitting in our little sort of porcelain tower dictating, you know, what is and isn't harassment. We really want that engagement. Yeah. And harassment to one person perhaps isn't to another. It might be seen as playful banter, but obviously in the majority of cases, it goes well beyond any sort of, you know, element of, of perhaps inappropriate fun. Um, and I notice you've got some interesting supporters, a friend of mine, Ian Murphy, who are everybody, you know, the irreverent cyber off. Um, and I'm sure he's got some very, very vocal views on his support for that, which is fantastic. But I mean, what, what do you think has been the greatest? Uh, I'll ask you firstly. So what's, what's the greatest thing that you think has come out of this sort of very early part of respect and security? And what do you want to see more of? So for me, it's people who have written to myself or to any of the co-founders directly and said, you know, the number of messages I've had where people have said, I've been really close to leaving the industry, really, really close to leaving the industry because of all these things that have happened. And to have the courage to come out, and most of them have said, I've never told people this. Mm. And they've come out and shared the story. And we say to people, you know, we don't, we don't want names, we don't want sort of screenshots or anything like that when that we're not that organization mm. but they come and they just share the story of what happened which helps them offload some of that which is great but also it kind of informs us that we're we're sort of on the money here in terms of the need for this kind of thing to exist because we can't have an industry where we're encouraging 
people into it and saying, we need you, we need you, come and join our industry. Then simultaneously knowing there's a whole load of talented people who are considering leaving because they are being harassed and abused. Those two things, they can't coexist. Very much, very much true. And I mean, do you, I mean, having, I kind of am a visitor to cybersecurity. I'm not a resident, you know, I'm a holiday maker. I dip in and out. Um, although it's, a, I do spend a lot of my time vacationing in cybersecurity lands. Obviously, the tech industry, I mean, it's got to be the same across most elements of this. I can't say that cybersecurity is exceptional with regards to this. Have you, have you had any contact from other parts of the tech industry around this? So the, the, the thing with respect to security is that we, obviously, we are addressing the cybersecurity industry because that's the industry that, that we're a part of. That's the industry that we are connected in, if you like, and exposed to. Uh, and when we started this thing, we had no idea uh, how or if it would be successful. We were absolutely blown away. You know, we, we had set ourselves a relatively arbitrary target um, before we launched because we honestly had no idea. We, we, we knew we were doing the right thing. We felt we were doing the right thing. And we wanted to act. And we got all our ducks in a row, as my mum would say, uh, and decided to um, <laughs> make Lisa laugh. That's what she says. Um, uh, and we decided that you know, we, we could talk about it forever or we could launch. So we got everything sorted and we launched. But we didn't really know how it would be received, how successful it would be or, or wouldn't be. So we came up with some targets. What do we want to achieve in the rest of 2021, the second half of 2021 after we launched? Uh, and one of the targets had to be about how many organizations are going to, are we hoping to get signed up? So we kind of went 50, 50, let's aim for 50 organizations signed up. Uh, we got over 50 in six days. So we were blown away by the response. Uh, but we must remember, and it's reflected in the organizations that have already signed up, and I hope it will be more and more reflected as time goes by. We're not addressing this initiative at cybersecurity companies exclusively. We're not addressing this at you know, only cybersecurity vendors and uh, companies that do focus only on things like penetration testing or things that are specifically cyber. This is open to any organization where there are cybersecurity professionals. And if they want to expand the initiative organization-wide, then there's nothing to stop them doing that. Because one of the points in the pledge, the final point, and the thing that really differentiates it from standard anti-bullying, anti-harassment policies, is that when an organization signs up, one of the things that they are committing to doing is to have this grievance handling policy and procedure in place, to have it documented, and also to have it published, publicly available, with how do you contact this organization if you have a grievance that you would like to address. That's what's been missing up until now. So if an organization, let's say one of the people that have signed up, British Telecom, they've signed up, which is fantastic, a huge organization. Uh, obviously, they, they, we came to their attention through the world of cybersecurity. But if they're publishing something on British Telecom, BT.com, uh, that says, here's our grievance handling policy and here's our contact address, there's no reason why that needs to be restricted to, to cybersecurity. And that's a wonderful thing. And aspiration-wise, I mean, you've, you've smashed your to the end of yeah, 2021 totally. goal. What's next? I think there was, um, I noticed that there was a, a pledge to move that to 100. But I don't I, think I don't, you're going to necessarily that? to get that. I'll be next week. <laughs> so we definitely said that internally. But in all honesty, we're still in, in, in finger-in-the-air territory. So we, 
50 came in and we went, wow, that, that's astounding. What next? And of course, the, the obvious next number you're going to pull out of a hat is 100. Who knows? The sky's the limit. I mean, this is a huge industry and this is a big problem that we're addressing. What's next, Lisa? Not, not in numbers of, of, of what's, you, we both know what our next goal that we have to hit is. So I think a, a, a really big thing for us is we are quite aware that we're not a hugely diverse group of people. Most of us are either sort of UK, British li- sort of living or European <laughs> in uh, Rick's case. Um, we're all white. You know, we are not a diverse group of people in that respect. So we are very conscious that what we need to go forward and do is set up an advisory board that reflects geography gender, every type of human and and also professionals. We need people who are lawyers. We need people who might know about sort of victim help and counselling to really inform how we move forward as as a group in the richest possible way possible so that we don't ignore any um, any group of individuals, any concern, we take into account all the different factors that come in because it's a hugely complex problem, especially when you then expand it outside of the UK's borders. It becomes more complex. There are different languages. Law enforcement is different. The signposting for victims has to change. There's all these cultural subtleties that have to be thought about and, um, and brought into so I think that is a really that will be a really key point for us as an organization. Um, and obviously that will bring in complexities as well in terms of vetting uh, advisory board members, making sure they are consistent with the messaging and they're consistent with the sort of sentiment behind the group. Um, so there's a lot of work to do to make the the group, I suppose, even sort of better and more effective and you know, sort of more representative, more right? representative. Exactly. Well, that sounds interesting. When, when are people going to be able to get in touch with you um, with regards to if they would like to be part of that advisory board or be considered to be part of that? So in all honesty, this, like I said, before we launched, we were, we had no idea. We, we are a group of uh, friends and colleagues who've come together with a shared aim and a shared desire to solve something that we see as a pressing problem. That's, that's the genesis of this, right? Um, we didn't know how successful we would be. Like I said, we had high hopes and, and lower expectations than our hopes. Uh, and we've been blown away by the response so far. So over the last month, it's been a bit runaway trainish. We had to get everything in place for the launch. Uh, we had to do all of the interviews to support it once the launch was, was taking place. And we had to deal with all of the interest um, uh, from people that want to take the pledge uh, and individuals that want to help or show their support in other ways. So we had a lot of incoming and outgoing all the time. So we have been very much in, uh, in, in runaway train mode. We need now to stop. Um, we need to carry on with the day-to-day, which is um, welcoming supporters which is fantastic and it's what we're here for, supporting uh, victims in terms of giving them the resources they need. But we also need to regroup um, between us, the founders, and say, okay, here's our roadmap and here are our dates. And in all honesty, I can't give you a firm date for when we will launch the, uh, the invitations for uh, applications for people to be a part of the advisory group. It will be as soon as we are capable of dealing with what comes in from that, and it will be this year. Fantastic. 
So from that perspective, if people want to find out more, where should they go? Tell us what the website is. Looks like we don't know, but I was giving Lisa a chance to talk. <laughs> You've got such a beautiful voice, Rick. It's a shame to bring mine in. <laughs> oh, you charmer, Lisa. Italian, so that's what we do. Ah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a voice changer on it. He doesn't sound anything like that, really. Respectingsecurity.org is the website. Uh, there is a form there to be able to contact us if you're interested in taking the pledge. The entirety of the pledge is there because we think transparency is extremely important. So if somebody has signed up for the pledge, um, then people who want to know what that means have to be able to go somewhere and find out exactly what it is that company is committed to. So the pledge is there. Uh, there are resources there available for people who are currently uh, being victimized uh, or worried about being victimized in terms of who can they turn to for help um, and other guides uh, of um, you know, people they might consider uh, talking to or um, policies or procedures they might consider following in terms of protecting themselves or safeguarding evidence, that kind of thing. Uh, but if you just want to contact us to talk about what we're doing or to talk about uh, any one of us, then we are all available online individually, and you are perfectly free to take advantage of that. Or if you want to contact Respect in Security, uh, then the contact details also in the name of Transparency are available, of course, on the website, respectinsecurity.org. And Lisa, Rick, any final words on where you'd like to see this go and what you, you know, what your, your further aspirations are for Respect in Security? For me, I think the key thing, and we're already seeing this manifest itself, is taking this harassment and abuse that happens to all sorts of people in our industry out of the shadows and onto people's front doorsteps and saying, look, this is what's going on. Let's do something about it and make our industry better. And I think there's nothing better than being able to do that. And the safer we can make it for people, the more welcoming we can make it for people, the more we can feel we're all on one team um, or on one side, I suppose, the better. Because however resilient you think you are, I know for a fact myself that when it happens, it ruins your day, it ruins your week. It's horrendous. So I'm just glad that people are seeing our message and are finding that empowering. Yeah, for me, it's about from an organization, obviously everything Lisa said, I echo 100%. And I've received a large number of um, messages from people within the industry, both that I personally know and have never met at all, uh, but for whom our mission has resonated strongly and who have contacted me sharing their stories. So uh, thank you to all of you. Uh, if you're watching this, I, I've read every single one and replied, I think, to all of them. Um, so over and above the victim stuff, the other thing that I'm really looking forward to, and, and again, we're still working out some of this stuff. We're just a group of people trying to make a difference, uh, is how do we take this global? Because respect and security is already unavoidably global. When an organization like my employer takes the pledge, you know, we're a global organization. We have 7,000 employees around the world and we've taken the pledge as an organization. So that step from a bunch of people, UK focused launching something to becoming global was made even pre-launch with our, you know, some of our first signatories. Um, so we need to work out how do we overcome the hurdles that are in our way uh, for making that a success for the victims in different geographies. 
the pledge is a simple one. The pledge is already kind of a global resource anyway, um, because it's not restricted by geography or legislation or regulation. However, what you do and how you handle these things as someone who's undergoing uh, abuse or harassment will differ by geography, uh, will differ by regulatory or legislative environment, uh, and will differ by, by culture. Uh, all of those things need to be taken into account, and not least, uh, the resources uh, to help victims will differ in all of those ways, and also linguistically. So we have a whole bunch of those kinds of hurdles to overcome, um, and we need to work out what the plan is to make that happen. Uh, and then I'm looking forward to you know the global response. We've already had it from a number of different regions, but a global response of people saying, I want to help, I want to be part of this. That's going to be fantastic. And another big challenge for us then is the one that Lisa mentioned already for the advisory uh, uh, group is um, it's going to be great that we get so many people who want to help. How do we make sure we're having the right people helping? So vetting is going to be another big hurdle for us. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a busy rest of 2021. And thanks to you and the other founders and everybody who's got involved so far, you know, it's just not acceptable for people to feel that they have been harassed or bullied or worse um, in any industry. And certainly I think cybersecurity and the tech industry itself should be leading the charge on making this happen because we do have some amazing people. I think as a woman who's been in the tech industry for <clears throat> decades, you know, I've been mentored, supported by a whole range of people. And I've never I've never suffered um, that type of, you know, activity towards myself. And I feel incredibly fortunate that that's the case. But I, I know I'm, I'm probably the exception rather than the rule, unfortunately, with regards to that. But I hope that, the you know, the tide is turning. And this is a big part of, of that. So thank you both. And thanks to the rest of you. And wishing you the best of luck and keep us posted on how things go. And as Rick said, um, respectinsecurity.org if you want to find out more or get involved and I'd like to thank you both Lisa and Rick for being here with us at We Are Tech Britannia podcast Thanks for having us, it's been a pleasure Thank you You're, you're very welcome and if you'd like to find out more as I said you should uh, visit the website uh, for respectinsecurity.org I may have said that a few times but I want to make sure people don't miss it and if you want to find out more about us, we are at www.techbritannia.co.uk and you can follow us on Twitter at Tech Britannia and find us on LinkedIn. Um, thanks again to these guys and wishing them the very best of luck. Thank you.